Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. Thank you for being here. I hope that uh, the new calendar year of 2018 has uh, been off to a good start for you all. And to our guests, we certainly want to welcome you. And uh, uh, we really mean this when we say we're always excited. We're thrilled to have guests uh, in our home. So thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us here at Temple Baptist Church, especially on this cold weekend. Uh, for those who are new, my name is uh, Donald and I'm one of the pastors here. Also want to welcome those who are watching online this morning. Technology is an amazing thing. For those who can't be here with us in person, they still can be part of our service. So uh, welcome to you as well. For those who may be here for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to let you know we are a church on a mission. There's a main thing that we do around here. And that main thing is we are all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We're absolutely convinced that the most important relationship anybody can have is a relationship with Jesus, any man, woman, boy, or girl. And we just think life is so much more fun. It's fuller. It's richer when you do it uh, with others. So that's our whole motivation around here is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. I want to say thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity to have a several days off uh, to visit my family for holidays. Thank you, Pastor Glenn and Pastor Dave, uh, for filling in. And uh, I came back uh, on uh, Wednesday and uh, I was able to catch the plague already. The Sarnia sneezing and sniffling is happening in my house and... Um, in fact, I, I've been doing so much sneezing and blowing my nose, I was sure I had lost five pounds. But uh, when I put my pants on this morning, I still got my Christmas weight on, so that's good, uh, for sure. You know, um, in the mornings, I've noticed that my throat's been really quite deep in the morning because of this cold, and I thought if there was ever a time that I was going to record a Johnny Cash song, this is the week I should be doing it, you know? I fell into a burning ring of fire. Down, 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 the flames got higher. Anyway, I, I uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, interesting, uh, this week I've actually had, um, I have a, a, a sciatic nerve, you know, it's kind of really, really bothered me. So, I went to physio on Friday, and the lady said, nice, super nice lady. She says, you know, I know you're going to be speaking on Sunday, so it may be helpful uh, for your leg if you, like, go to the edge, maybe just for five minutes, kind of dangle a leg. So I came here Saturday trying for five minutes, and it didn't work. So if I sit down a little later, you'll know why, what happened. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called The Worst Advice Ever. Uh, I think all of us probably could share a story or two where you've heard some bad advice, some bad information was given, and people acted on it. And before Christmas, I asked if you would help me out by filling out some cards called uh, Worst Advice Ever. And some of your responses were actually quite funny. Like this one. Um, I was told that I could take a sleeping pill and a laxative at the same time. <laughs> Not good. Not good. I was told to, that my sister could cut hair. But I had to wear a scarf on my head for a month after the haircut. Anyway, there was, there was lots of funny ones, lots of them that I was actually in shock. Like, wow, people gave that advice. And then there were some that really had serious, uh, serious uh, consequences. And 99% uh, 
of your uh, submissions actually fall in three categories. There was bad advice about uh, with finances. That was actually the number one, all the ones that came in. Number two was bad advice that had been given in relationships. And number three was bad advice about a spiritual thing. So, so based on what you've been telling me, some of the worst advice, we're going to use those three categories. And we're going to try to untangle our lives on how to, how to learn, how to avoid a bad advice. So we're going to start our series and talk about something that you don't like me to talk about. We're going to talk about money. Oh, no. The dreaded money talk. I can already sense there's people that want to get up and go home right now right? If you're visiting here, I just want to let you know we're not expecting anything of you. And I just actually want to make you a little more relaxed and remind you that the offering has already been taken. So we're not going to build up something to make you feel guilty to put uh, anything into the offering plate. And if you brought a guest, you're probably thinking, oh, of all the Sundays to invite somebody, the Sunday that Donald decides to talk about money. Now, we don't often talk about that. We occasionally will do. But we believe that actually money is more than just a um, financial issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's actually a discipleship issue when you think about money. Now, to get us started, I just thought, give me a couple reasons, if you can. Give me a couple reasons as to why people don't like the church talking about money. Can anybody just shout it out? Shout it from wherever you are. Okay, they don't want to give it, so don't talk about it, right? Don't want to give. Okay? Anybody else? Quick. Okay. That they're already needy? Okay. Anything else? Why don't we like to talk about it? Oh, it's none of their business. I like it. Anything else? Not easy to give it away. Oh, hard, hard earned. Oh, guilt. Oh, it's so personal, isn't it? Personal. What was the other one? Debt. Okay. Well. There we go. Competition. And the other one was uh, debt, right? Debt. Anything else? Don't have any. So why talk about it? Okay. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt. There's lots of reasons why people don't like to... Um, talk about money but did you realize that the bible actually has 800 verses that deal with money and interesting to note that most of those verses do not deal with giving the majority of those verses actually talk about managing your money it's about managing your money now i understand that nobody Nobody ever plans that their finances are going to get messy. But sometimes we look back and we wonder, how in the world did I get into this situation? How did I deceive myself to get myself in this kind of a financial bind? It seems easy 
to sell ourselves with some bad advice when it comes to our money. So I would like for you to consider this morning some words that were spoken by a man who was an advisor to several kings. Now this man's name is Jeremiah. He's an Old Testament prophet, and, and if kings had heeded his advice, let me tell you, it would have prevented a lot of heartache. Well, let me just give you a little bit of background. So Jeremiah lived about 600 uh, B.C., and, and he was the mouthpiece for God to the nation of Israel. So when nation, uh, when nation of Israel would begin to drift away from God, uh, Jeremiah would speak and, and let them know that you're drifting. We made an agreement with God, but you're not, you're not doing the agreement that we had made with God. And time and time again, they would simply ignore, okay? They would just ignore uh, what he was saying and his suggestions, and they would do their own thing. They kept making the same bad decisions, stupid decisions over and over again, and guess what happened? The same results time and time and time again. For example, there was a king named Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim was the uh, king of Israel, and, and he thought it would be a great idea if, if he would rebel against the, um, the empire, the Babylonian empire. If you study the Babylonian Empire, you will realize that it is a massive um, empire. It's powerful. It's wealthy. Um, it has a, a massive, mighty military army. In fact, there's no empire that has ever been like it. And, ba and Babylon, it, it dominated uh, much of the known world at that day. It did dominate it. It dominated politically and economically and, and militarily and religiously. And by treachery, it dominated. And, and during this time of history, Israel is kind of under the Babylonian Empire. So Babylon has just conquered and conquered and conquered. So Israel is kind of like, um, like a puppet state. And so Israel had agreed that they would pay an annual tribute to the Babylon, to the Babylonian Empire, for their military protection. But then one day, Jehoiakim decides, I'm done. I am done paying the tribute. And he, begin, he makes an alliance with Egypt, and he decides that he is going to rebel and basically declare war on Babylon, if you can imagine. He thought for some reason this was a good idea. But can I just give you an idea just give you a perspective while we're talking about why this wouldn't be a good idea. Why even an outside observer would say, what are you doing, Jehoiakim? So we know, uh, let's see, let's, uh, okay, I'm just going to put it here. This, this is the Black Sea. This is the Caspi uh, Caspian Sea over here. This is the Persian Gulf. We know where that would be, Persian Gulf. This is the Red Sea down here, the Suez Canal. This is the Mediterranean over here. This is, uh, this is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. This is Iran. This is Iraq, okay? This is uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia down there. This is Egypt over here. Uh, this is Syria. This is Jordan, okay? Get the idea. This is, this is the Babylonian Empire of its day. It, it was all of this. 
It was a massive empire. And <laughs> Israel, okay, Jerusalem is this little tiny little city right down there. And the nation of Israel is a little sliver of land. And Jehoiakim says, hey, I got an idea. I am going to rebel against the Babylonian Empire. Now, let's be honest. That is stupid. What are we saying? I think that's, is that too strong of a word? And so what happens, of course, um, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to deal well with this. You know, you know what this would be like? This would be like Bright's Grove declaring war in all of Canada. Right? Like it's crazy. It's, it's crazy thought. It would be actually pointless for Bright Grove to do that. And Jeremiah had warned them. This is a terrible idea. Not only is it a bad idea, but it's not even what God wants for us to do. But by that time, Jehoiakim had already made up his mind, and he was putting uh, action, uh, motion, putting it all in motion, and he moved ahead with this plan. And so Nebuchadnezzar, of course, comes down, because he's not going to agree with to this. He comes down with his massive army. He takes over Jerusalem. In fact, the Bible says, uh, or we find out in history, that about 10,000 captives are taken this is the time of when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all taken. About 10,000 captives, the nobility, the wise, the smart, the intellectual, like there was a brain drain that took place here. And, and 10,000 of them were taken up to Babylon. Okay? And, and Nebuchadnezzar did an interesting thing. He took Jehoiakim and added him to his king's collection. You know, a lot of us will collect things. Some people collect uh, stamps. Some people collect uh, cars. Some people will collect um, hockey, you know, hockey cards or movie paraphernalia. But Nebuchadnezzar actually collected kings. And so he takes kings. When he would conquer a country, he would take the kings back to Babylon in chains, and he would blind them. And so when he would throw big parties and he wanted to kind of demonstrate his power, what he would do, he'd bring out all this parade of kings that he had conquered. And it would kind of just show and demonstrate how powerful of a king was. And so that's what happened to Jehoiakim. Now Nebuchadnezzar put someone else on the throne of Israel. His name was Zedekiah. He was 21 years of age. He actually was the brother of Jehoiakim. And Nebuchadnezzar made him promise, you will not rebel. You will pay the annual tribute. And all was going well. Yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. Well, it seems like no sooner had the Babylonian army left when Zedekiah comes up with the same idea. He says, you know what? I'm not paying that tribute either. And he begins to try to make some alliances so he can war against uh, Babylon now, something tells me this is not a good idea. You've just seen what has happened to Jedekiah. And Jeremiah tried to warn Zedekiah that if you do this, there is pending destruction. Not only will the city be destroyed, but your family will actually 
fall to destruction. But the king Zedekiah said, you know what? I'm a king, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And he does. In fact, he gets so tired of hearing Jeremiah, you know, talk, 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 and, and challenge him on what he is doing, that he finally took Jeremiah and just threw him in a dungeon. I'm, I'm tired of, of listening to him. And Zedekiah goes ahead and decides to do his own thing and decides not to pay attention to Jeremiah's advice. So what happens? As you well imagine, Nebuchadnezzar comes down, he, he sieges the city, puts a siege on it. He basically starves the people to death until they submit. And just before they took over, Zedekiah tried to escape in a tunnel, the king and his family. And they got outside the, uh, of the gate and they were trying to get away. I think it was in Jericho where they were caught. And guess what happened? The last thing that Zedekiah saw was all of his children being executed. Poked out his eyes, took him back to Babylon and made him part of the king's collection. And that's when we ask ourselves, why? Why do you hear a story like that? And you say, why wouldn't they listen? There's so much history to, to learn from. As I said, even a casual observer would know, this is not gonna turn out well, what you're doing. But interesting enough, Jeremiah, uh, during his interaction with Zedekiah, penned some amazing words. And these words may explain to us why we can make bad decisions, why oftentimes we deceive ourselves into making bad decisions. These words explain why we can be so good at selling ourselves with bad ideas. Here's what he wrote. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. There it is. Your heart, my heart. Deceitful above all things. In fact, one of the worst advice someone had put on their card was to follow your heart. That was interesting. Worst advice ever given to me, to follow my heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Notice that it doesn't say, and I, I was trying to think this through, why doesn't Jeremiah say the heart is dishonest? See, it seems like there's something different about being dishonest and deceitful. Deceitful seems to have an agenda. Deceitful is like truth, half-truths, and non-truths all mixed together. If our hearts were always to lie to us every single time, well, we would catch on after a while. But when it's deceitful, it's different. It's much harder to detect. You meet a dishonest person, and you probably can be shrewd enough to figure out, man, not a good cat. <laughs> in fact, I'll give you an example. This past week, I was in Florida visiting my family, and my mom's been looking for uh, a new automobile. And so I, I was on Craigslist and I said, hey, mom, I think I found the perfect automobile for you. And it's an amazing price. 
And I was showing it to her, she says, yes! So I was in Fort Myers, and this automobile was in Boynton Beach, which is about two hours on the other side, which is right next to where my, my cousin lives. I call my cousin. I said, listen, I found this automobile. He says, oh my goodness, that's an amazing deal. You leave at three o'clock in the morning, you get at that doorstep with your money, don't let anyone else be there. Before she changes her mind, just give her the money and run with that automobile. I was like, okay, okay. So, you know, I'm going to ATM machines, $500 out of that machine, go to another machine, get $500 out of that machine, you know, trying to get all this money. Then I called them back, and, and this was the story. This lady had said to me, she would, had been recently divorced, and she said, my, my, uh, my husband cheated on me, I have two children, and, and I have his automobile, and it's his pride possession, and I'm going to sell it on him. I'm like, okay, I'll take the deal. So... Um, <laughs> I called back and I said, um, I'm coming, just give me your address. I'm on my way. And then the email said, oh, did I not tell you my automobile's in Nebraska? But you're advertising it as though it was in Boynton Beach, Florida. Oh, yes, I, well, I told you. Didn't I tell you that I moved? No. So she said, just send me the money and I'll make sure you get it. That's when I clued in. See what I'm saying? It's easier to kind of catch on with a dishonest person, but someone who is deceitful takes those truths, half truths. And sometimes it can be much harder to figure out. So I think Jeremiah chooses his words very carefully when he says our hearts are deceitful. They can be dangerous. And perhaps that is why it's so easy to be convinced about certain things. We don't just simply lie to ourselves. The Bible says actually we deceive ourselves. Now Jeremiah is not finished with this statement. He says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Know what that means? There's no cure. It is a permanent condition. That means we've got to take permanent action to prevent ourselves from being deceived. Now Jeremiah isn't finished yet. Look what he says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's why we can stand back and say, hmm, I don't understand why I did that. I don't understand why I called her back. I don't understand why I went out to lunch with that guy. In fact, what I've just done, I would tell someone else who would void. I don't understand why I did that. We make those kind of statements because the truth is our hearts are deceitful. This explains why smart people can make decisions that aren't so smart. That's often why we say, shouldn't they have known better? How could they have been so deceived? Well, we know why. Because we suffer from the same heart condition. This is deception. This is a universal disease. Our hearts are deceitful. It's a permanent problem and, and you never outgrow it. You, you, you never graduate from it. We will always have the propensity to talk ourselves into things that we should be talking ourselves out of. So this morning, we want to talk about money. 
Now, we know we already got a problem when it comes to dealing with money. Number one is we have a heart that's deceitful that will actually try to con us into making decisions that aren't always that wise when it comes to our our finances. So with that bit of uh, information um, or knowledge for your arsenal, let's get a few extra pieces of truth that actually may help you when it comes to managing your money because that's what the Bible really zeroes in on about managing. So a couple things that I just wrote down that may be helpful as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, since it is a spiritual issue, money. But even if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, you're just here checking things out, this advice, I think, can be very helpful for you as well. The first thing, number one, spend less than what you make. Spend less than what you make. It seems so easy, but it's so hard. You know why it's so hard? Because of this thing right here. My Costco MasterCard. (laughs) This allows me to actually spend more than what I make. Now, let's be honest. They're very, very convenient. But boy, credit cards have gotten a lot of people in trouble. I looked up yesterday the average debt that a Canadian carries. So the average debt that a Canadian carries, consumer debt, I mean, that's not business loans, that's not house mortgages, all that kind of stuff, just consumer, is $22,000 per person in Canada. Which means if we were to multiply how many people are here this morning, it would be about $19 million worth of debt right here. That's unbelievable. And the one thing that's on the rise, according to this report, the one thing that is on the rise is the opportunity to buy now but pay later. And wouldn't you know it, this week I got a flyer. It says, don't pay for two and a half years. Get it today. This is what's causing most Canadians to get in trouble. Two and a half years as well. Lots of times interest rates can go up as well. And people don't prepare for it. And so their statistics are saying Canada, Canadians are getting very caught up with this idea. I'll get it now. And I don't have to worry about that for two and a half years. And then two and a half years comes like, oh my goodness, I never put that in my budget at all. (laughs) How am I going to do that? And they won't take it back at that point. I drove by a car dealership this week. It said, bad credit, no credit, no cash, no problem. How is that possible? So I think if you find yourself spending less than what you make, you will be in better shape than most Canadians. That's just one simple advice. Number two, there is a huge difference between spending and saving. Now, I know that seems like a no-brainer, but here again, I get this flyer. It says, spend more, save more. (laughs) The more you spend, the more you save. You see what I'm saying? There's a big difference between saving and spending. 
How many times have we gone to the mall? You know, we buy $200 worth of clothes, but we saved $400. We saved. I was amazing. I saved $400. Hmm. See, saving money comes toward you. Spending, it leaves you. So when you spend $200, you actually didn't save $400. You understand? Hey, I do that all the time, by the way. Because <laughs> I have a heart that is deceptive. I like what Bill Heibel says. You can admire it without acquiring it. I love that. That's my new motto in 2018. See, I love to go to car shows. I love going to an RV show. I love going to boat shows. I love going to home shows. I love going in there, ooh and ah. I love sitting in those boats. And, oh, I and then I sometimes convince myself, you know what, I'm going to get one of these. Then I check it with my bank account, and it says no. <laughs> and so I'm learning to admire it without acquiring it. Now let me say, I don't have this all figured out. I'm still trying to teach myself how to make sure I, my financial house is in order. But what I am trying to do, and I'm not saying it's easy, but this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to learn to be content with God's provision. In Philippians, many of you will probably even know these verses for sure, but in Philippians chapter four, the apostle Paul is speaking He's kind of given a little bit of his, his testimony. Let me just read it for you. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what is to be in need, and, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've learned that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I, I've never been close to facing financial disaster. I, I admit that. You know, I, I've had certain seasons in my life where, you know, things are quite a bit tighter, and so we're a little more careful you know, in my spending. And, and, and as I was listening to Paul say that, he says, I've learned to be content when I have a lot, great. God's blessed me. When I have nothing, I'm learning to be content in that as well. Now, I want to ask you a question because I don't know the answer. And I want you to think, maybe you can think about it this week. I'm trying to figure this out, okay? Uh, this question is really probably more designed for a follower of Christ. Here's the question. Is debt, is my debt telling God that his current provision for life is not enough and that I need to arrange more for myself. That's what I'm trying to ask myself. Is my debt telling God that his current provision for life is not enough and I need to arrange more for myself? See, I'm always telling myself, true, I'm always telling myself, I need a better car. I need a new kitchen. Right? I, um, I need a bigger TV. You know what? Since I've moved to Sarnia, for some reason, I feel I need a boat. <laughs> I've never needed a boat before, but I do now. 
And the Bible tells us to be reminded that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Too many of us live under the bondage, the crushing bondage of death, debt. Now, I, I don't think the Bible is against all debt. I mean, there is no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not be in debt. But it certainly gives a lot of warnings of the destruction of debt. You know, I think a reasonable mortgage, a small business loan for a startup, we understand these things for sure. But the advice would be from most financial people would say, you know, borrow as, least, as little as you can and pay it back as fast as you can. This church actually has an amazing story. When you think back in the 80s that this church, that they, you know, that what was built here was a multi-million dollar facility and in seven, eight years, you, you were debt free. <laughs> That's amazing to me. That's an amazing story. I heard a statement by a pastor. I was, I'm going to say 10, 11 years old. This was a statement that he made. The church was going through a building program. And this is what he said. We ought to borrow so much money. We ought to get in so much debt that only God can get us out. And I remember as a 10-year-old going, that doesn't sound right. That sounds like bad advice. Here's the takeaway this morning. We have a heart. We have a heart that is deceitful. So we have got to be on the alert. We know our hearts can take us places where we never intended to go and buy stuff that we never intended to buy. Number two, we can walk away knowing that if we spend less than what we make, we will be in better shape than the majority of this country. Simple principle, spend less than what you make. Number three, remember spending and saving are completely two different things. Spending, money leaves you. Saving, money comes towards you. Learn the art of admiring it without acquiring it. Number four, which is where I'm learning. I don't have this one down yet. But to be content with what you have. With the provisions that you have. To be content. Now, maybe this morning you find yourself, you may go, oh, I'm so depressed. I'm in the worst financial situation. This, I just, this is awful. I would say, <laughs> don't beat up on yourself. Take that same energy and begin to make ways to pull yourself out of that bondage of debt. Ask God. Ask God for wisdom. Get around some people who are good at money management. It will amaze you the freedom that comes in being a good money manager. The Bible talks about that. There is freedom when there's no debt. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your words. We thank you for what the Bible has to say about our finances. 
And Lord, I pray that over the next few weeks, as we look at this topic of bad advice, that you'll help us see you. Lord, help us to know what it is to be a fully developed follower of Jesus. Lord, we understand money is not just a financial issue. It is a spiritual issue. It is a discipleship issue. And Lord, I, I believe that you have a great desire that we could just be free, free from debt, free from the bondage of it, free to get involved in areas that we never thought we could get involved with, free to give and participate in things that we never thought we could ever do. Tremendous amount of freedom went into debt. Lord, I do believe that's pro- that it would be your desire for a follower of, G- of Christ this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.